human anger.
Hashem, Mosi, this shit. All right, let's sing one more and then we'll have Mike come. 2 Kings 25. Second Kings 25. I'm going to bring you a message about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, technically it would be Nebuchadnezzar II, was the king of Babylon. And historically, he was known as Nebuchadnezzar the Great. The reason why he had that title is because he was the empire's greatest king. He was famous for his 
military campaigns and construction projects in Babylon. He ruled for 43 years. He was the longest reigning king of the Chaldean dynasty. At the time of his death, he was among the one of the most powerful rulers in the world. Now, in the Bible, you know especially that King Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for destroying the kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. And during that time, he also destroyed Solomon's temple. The southern kingdom of Judah was taken into Babylonian captivity. And in 2 Kings chapter 25, I'm going to recount those events, beginning at verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host, against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. And the city was besieged under the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. And the city was broken up. All the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees were against the city round about, and the king went the way toward the plain. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters and brass and carried him to Babylon. Notice the very last thing that he ever saw were his own sons being killed. Because after that, they gouged his eyes out. Remember Samson? Yeah. They did something similar to Samson. Uh, back then, uh, you know, they didn't have all these human rights and war crimes and trials and all those things. I mean, it was really barbaric back then. Verse 8, And in the fifth month, on the seventeenth day of the month, which is the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, King uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem. And he burnt the house of the Lord. What house would that be? What's the house of the Lord in the Bible? The, old, the temple. Solomon's temple. Burned it. And the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. Burned the whole city down. Verse 10. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. So they had a wall around the whole city. They broke down the wall. They burned the temple. They burned the king's house. They burned everybody's houses. They ruined the entire city. There was a famine in the city. They, they didn't allow food to come in the city. People were dying. People, I mean, it was just terrible. Verse 11. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuzard and the captain of the guard carry away. So the you understand... The nation of Israel apostatized. The nation of Israel was given over to idolatry. God had warned the nation of Israel. He said, when you go into these lands, that I'm gonna, the land that I'm going to give you, I'm telling you, you don't intermingle. You don't mix with these idolaters that are in the land. Some of these people, I'm going to uh, give them into you. They're going to try to fight you. I'm going to allow you to wipe them out for a twofold purpose. Number one, I'm giving you the land that they are inhabiting. Number two, I'm using it as a judgment against them for their wickedness, their idolatry. The idolatry was so bad that they were performing human sacrifices, burning their own babies as offerings to these pagan gods. That's how bad it was. And God, in the Bible, it says that God gave them chances to repent and they didn't. So God had Israel wipe a lot of these people out, but Israel did not fully obey God. And Israel was influenced by these people, and the nation of Israel actually started worshiping some of these same idols and actually started doing the same thing. Some even some of the kings burning their own babies as offerings to these pagan gods. And so 
God said, okay, I told you. I told you way back from the beginning. I told you that if you obey me, I will take care of you. If you disobey me, you're going to be chastised. And so God allowed the nation of Israel to go into Gentile captivity. Now, at this time, after Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel was split into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom retained the name of Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. And so the Assyrians took the northern kingdom captivity. The Babylonians took the southern kingdom, which was Judah and Benjamin, and the capital city was Jerusalem. And so that's what we just read there in 2 Kings chapter 25. And they took a lot of these people... The, the very talented people and, and people that they could use to their benefit, they carried them away and they were exiled. And so specifically, there were four men, if we read in the book of Daniel, we read that one of them was Daniel and the other three, the, the king changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar. And so in the book of Daniel specifically, we have these four men that, they, that were taken away to Babylon and it says that they were wise, they were talented and, and the king wanted to use these men to his advantage in his kingdom. And God used Nebuchadnezzar to chasten, to chastise the southern kingdom, Judah. Go to Daniel chapter one. You see, God can use wicked men to accomplish his purpose. And it's very almost strange or ironic in the Bible because sometimes God will then punish those men for doing what they did even though God allowed it and actually used that to accomplish his purpose although the men themselves they don't understand what they're doing is actually fulfilling what God wants to happen it's kind of like the crucifixion of Christ did God want Jesus to be crucified Yes, he did. He did. That's one of the reasons why why God sent Jesus Christ here. He said, the, um, "I am not come to uh, the Son of Man has come to to give himself as a as a ransom for many." If you read in Isaiah chapter fifty three, it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That was God's will that Jesus would be crucified to be the the uh, sin offering for the world. But were the, the men, the Romans and, and Israel who rejected their Messiah and all of those people who played a part and played a role in the crucifixion, were they right? Were they justified in doing that? No. They were disobeying God. See, but God used it to accomplish his purpose. See, it's kind of like here in uh, what we see about these kings that were chastising the nation of Israel. God used them to accomplish his purpose. Uh, look at Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord did it. The Lord did it. With part of the vessels of the house of God, all of those Vessels of gold and silver and from the temple, they took those away. And then it also says, which he carried in the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasures, treasure house of his God. Now, I'm going to show you some things about Nebuchadnezzar that are very interesting in the book of Daniel. What you see is there are three different experiences involving God's power in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Very interesting because I want you to see not just these three things, but his reaction to those things. Uh, here we have a wicked pagan Gentile king. He takes away the southern uh, kingdom, Judah, into captivity. We, we're going to see some of his faults, some of his mistakes that he made. But I want you to understand uh, that there are some things of the, the way that he reacted that are almost uh, surprising. Number one, I want you to see what he heard, what Nebuchadnezzar heard. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in Daniel chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep break from him. 
Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syria, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Wow, what a demand. What expectations that he had. Here he says that I, I dreamed a dream. I need to know the interpretation. And he calls all these wise men, the astrologers and the magicians and the sorcerers and all of these men that he uh, he's accustomed to rely upon. And he, and he says, I, I, I dreamed this dream. I need you to interpret this. Okay, we'll, we'll give our best shot. Tell us what the dream was. I forgot. <laughs> you ever had a dream? You woke up. And, and this happens this, this happens to me, and I'm thinking, man, I had this, this dream. It was so interesting. It was so vivid. It's just, and, and, and I'm trying to remember what it was because I know I had this really interesting dream, but for some reason I forgot it. And I'll be sitting there, man, I can't forget it. And then a few hours, I, I can't remember, a few hours later, all of a sudden it comes back to me. Oh, yeah, now I remember. And I'll tell my wife, say, man, I, I had this dream last night and we were this and we were going here and this happened and this happened and sometimes I know that I had this really interesting dream but I can't remember for a few hours. Nebuchadnezzar, he knows he had this really profound, interesting, symbolic dream and this dream is so profound he wants, he knows that there's a deeper hidden meaning behind it. He wants the interpretation, but he can't remember the dream. And he says, you guys, if you guys don't tell me what the dream was and interpret it, you're dead. Now talk about a demand. Talk about some pressure. Notice his magicians, they couldn't accomplish this. They told him, if you know the story, he says, nobody has ever asked for something like this. This this expectation, this demand is just too great. There's nobody in the world that could accomplish that. Notice that these magicians, these sorcerers, they could not accomplish this. You know the story, you know that Daniel was able to, which we're going to get to. But you notice the world, when they try to provide the answers, they never have the real answers. Sometimes they might have some answers, some of them that, seeming, that are seemingly real. These uh, psychics, these people, uh, people that look to psychics, people that look to astrologers and, and all of these other uh, counterfeit religions and things, some of those things, they do have bits and pieces of truth. There are such things as universal truth. I've seen people, they say, well, if you take all the major world religions, you take Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Christianity and Judaism, and you can really find some common ground, and they basically say all the, they all basically say the same thing. No, they don't all basically say the same thing. Yeah, you can get some universal moral truths from all of them. But when people say, well, they all basically say the same thing, what about the areas where they don't say the same thing? What about that? What about the areas where they contradict? You can find some common ground, sure. But I would say that, that there's, there's more areas where they don't agree than where they do agree. These uh, psychics, sometimes they come up with some of the answers. Many times they don't. I think a lot of those are fake. But uh, I believe that the devil can use some of those people once in a while. It's funny, I had a, a psychic where I work, and she was, she was there for some show at the hotel, and then she came in the restaurant, and I was talking to her, and she was trying to convince me that she was genuine, and she started asking me some questions about my personal life and uh, trying to predict some things and and uh, she said well how's how's your car did you get your car fixed yet I said no it's running fine <laughs> and she said it's right there in the parking lot I drove it to work today she said well well keep an eye on it uh, it's going to start giving you some trouble pretty soon and she said how's your tooth 
So I just went to the dentist last week. He said everything's fine. Uh, you're you're going to have you know problem with one of your teeth. I'm thinking, well, who isn't eventually? I mean, anybody could predict that you're going to have car trouble. Yeah, hundred uh, percent of the people who own vehicles, unless they trade it in soon, eventually they will have car trouble. Uh, yeah, eventually somebody's going to have a tooth toothache. Yeah, if you live long enough. <laughs> uh, is that really a supernatural ability to, to predict that? And then she asked me where the bathroom was. I'm thinking, well, you're a psychic. If, if you can supposedly tell the future about all these people and they, you know, find out where the kidnapped kid is in the news and all of that, you should be able to figure out, you know, without asking me where the bathroom is. Real, real powerful there. But I do, I do believe that some of those people who dabble in the occult once in a while, they maybe it's just chance. I believe sometimes Satan can use those people. Here in the book of Daniel, I believe these sorcerers and these people like that, I, these astrologers, these magicians, I do believe that they were tapped into some sort of satanic power, and that's why they had that position. And I believe that because, remember in the Bible, Pharaoh's magicians. Pharaoh's magicians... They were able to duplicate some of the miracles that Moses and Aaron performed, but not 100%. They were limited in their ability. What do they do with their rods when they put them down on the ground? Turned into serpents, right? They were able to duplicate some of those miracles. And I don't believe it was just a sleight of hand or an illusion. I believe it was actually satanic power that they had. But they were limited. They could not do what God could do. So what did, what did uh, Nebuchadnezzar hear? He heard the interpretation of his dream. Go to verse 27. Verse 27 of uh, chapter 2 in the book of Daniel. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And he proceeds to tell Nebuchadnezzar about his dream. Now I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar sitting there and Daniel says, here's the dream that you dreamed. And he says, you dreamed about this image. And this image, it was made of these different materials, uh, the head and, the, and the, the shoulder and everything. So it started with gold and then silver and then brass and then clay and then iron mixed with clay. And he had the, the feet and the ten toes. And then he said that um, there was this stone like a big meteorite that came down and it hit that image in the feet. And because it hit the image at the feet with the, the base that's supporting that image, the entire image toppled. And he said... He said, Nebuchadnezzar, that image and all of those different pieces of that image, the body parts of that man, they represent different kingdoms. And if you know the Bible, that, that big stone, that big meteorite that comes and, and destroys that image is a picture of Jesus Christ coming back at the second advent, defeating the world's kings, kingdoms and the empires and setting up his own kingdom that we know is the beginning of the millennium. And so he told, I can imagine, where Daniel is telling the king, and then the king Nebuchadnezzar says, that's right, that's right, that is what I dreamed. Now I remember exactly, Daniel, you got it, you got it. That's it, that's it. You're describing it in perfect detail. Now it just came back to me. Daniel, I mean, all of these wise men and these astrologers, these magicians I, I, I've relied on for so, so long, and they couldn't give me the answer. Daniel, Daniel. Here you are, Daniel. You, you came from you came from Judah. You're not even you don't even believe in our religion. You don't even worship our gods. And how, Daniel, how in the world are you able to accomplish this and tell me the dream that I dreamed and the interpretation? I can imagine he was shocked, he was surprised, he was happy, he was scared, he was all of these emotions at the same time. And look at verse 46. Look at his reaction. He says in verse 46, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. Now notice he's a pagan. He's not accustomed to worshiping one and only true God in him alone. He's accustomed to worshiping idols and all kinds of gods. 
In verse 46, then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell down upon his face and worshiped Daniel. <sighs> Do you remember, Paul, when that poisonous snake bit him and he should have died and he didn't die and all of a sudden, Paul, he's a god. See, that's, that's the pagan mindset. And then he says, and he commanded that they should offer an oblation, that would be a sacrifice, and sweet odors unto him. Unto who? Daniel. Now, like, he, he's overreacting here. He he's still has this, this pagan type of philosophy where he thinks that now Daniel is maybe some sort of god or a demigod or a god-man or something or, or worthy of worship. And so we have to understand that, but we have to give him credit for what he does in the next verse. Look at verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. We have to give credit to Nebuchadnezzar for verse 47. We understand that as a pagan that he, he, he overreacts and, and he tells people to worship Daniel. But at least in verse 47, he acknowledges that Daniel stands above and apart from the rest of the astrologers and the magicians of his empire. And he understands and acknowledges that there's something different about Daniel's God. He understands and he understands that it's not just Daniel that was able to do this and accomplish this with his own power. But that because Daniel told him, there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets. Your men couldn't do it. They're trusting in the wrong God. They have the wrong source of their truth. But I have the true God that can reveal these things. Who knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And he recognized that Daniel's God was superior. Why? Because he heard what Daniel had interpreted, not just interpreted, but had reminded him of what his dream was. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, some people, their, their, their faith is strengthened by them just hearing the Bible preach. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is. I know that God uses it. I've, I've, I've witnessed to people before and, and sometimes you give them the gospel and and try to reason with them and they're kind of on the fence but sitting here in church hearing the word of God preached sometimes will be more convincing or more convicting I should say I don't know if it's the, the emotions or whatever it is but there's something about the word of God when it's being preached that it convicts the heart of men and that's biblical and the Bible says that so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God he heard he recognized Nebuchadnezzar, very interesting. But what did he do after that? Well, we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar, he still made some mistakes. He still didn't let go of his, his pagan beliefs, oddly enough. We see that although he recognized the, that Daniel's God was the God of gods, the true God, he was a superior God, we're going to see something else that Nebuchadnezzar allowed to happen and I want you to go to Daniel chapter 3. And in the next chapter, what happens is that there's an image that is erected, an image of Nebuchadnezzar. It's a very large image. We're going to see in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. And he set up this big image of himself, real humble guy. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar was known as a, a man, a king of construction, of, of const having these elaborate things constructed. That's one of the things that he was known for. And it says that in verse 4, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time he hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, he fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. I have always tried to imagine what that music sounded like. I pictured these instruments, and I'm thinking, I wonder if it was something that was kind of spooky and eerie, 
kind of like how the, the Hawaiians would have that, that drum and the, the heiau and the, the tikis and all of that. Or I wonder if it was something real festive. I wonder what it sounded like. And I, I do not know, but um, it must have, must have sounded some sort of call to worship this image. And not only were they supposed to bow down and worship this image, but if they refuse, look what it says in verse 6. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Well, that's some pressure there. You know, in the future, there's also somebody that's going to have an image that's supposed to be worshipped. And people are going to be killed for not worshipping the image. The image of the beast, it says in the book of Revelation. So this is a type of the Antichrist. In this sense, Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the Antichrist, the beast. You see a lot of these things in the Old Testament that foreshadow and picture things that are going to come in the future. And so that's a capital offense, not worshiping this image. Now look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. You know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to worship this image. They were told that they were going to be thrown into the furnace of fire. And Nebuchadnezzar was so angry that he had the furnace heated seven times hotter. And he said, get these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they're not going to bow down and worship this image, tie them up, bound them, bind them, throw them in the furnace. In fact, I want you to heat it up seven times hotter. He heated up so hot that the, the men, the soldiers... When they were throwing these guys into the furnace, the fire killed those guys because they, it says that they, they, they hasted and they burned, they heated it up so hot, so quickly, it burned the guys that threw them in there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then if you go down to verse 25, it says, he, let's, let's start at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. That means astonished. He was surprised. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. Now notice they were bound. They were tied up. And then he looks in there. Not only are they still alive, they are loose. They are walking around. It burned the cords that were tying them up, but it didn't burn them. That's very interesting. They're loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form, there's a fourth person in there. Who is he? The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, you have to picture this. I don't know about you, but I would be scared to death. If I told somebody that they had to worship an image of me, and if they didn't, they were going to be thrown into the furnace, I throw them in there, and then I look in there, and they are not burned up. It burned the men that were just throwing them in there. The men weren't even thrown in there, but they were putting them in there, and it burned the soldiers, and they died. And then I look in there, and these men are walking around, Alive, and I see a fourth one, and the fourth one looks different than the other three. The fourth one looks supernatural. He says the fourth one looks like the Son of God. I would have been scared to death because that would tell me, oh my goodness, I was wrong. I was wrong to erect this image. I was wrong to have people worship it. I was wrong to throw these people in there. Now I see that there is their God is right and I am wrong. And you know what they told Nebuchadnezzar before they were thrown in there? They said, we're not going to worship your image. Our God is going to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to that image. They were defiant. They were confident. By the way, here's a little side note. You know what the NIV and a lot of the, the New American Standard, a lot of the other new Bible versions say in verse 25? At the end of that, the new Bibles, they say, and the form of the fourth is like a son, lowercase s, a son of the gods, lowercase g. Here's the King James Version. 
the Son, capital, of God, capital, singular, the New Bibles, a Son, lowercase s, of a Son of the Gods. Just thought I'd throw that out here. Big difference between the Son of God and a Son of the Gods. Right. And then the scholars say, yeah, but Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't, you know, a Jew and he was a pagan, and so that's why he said a Son of the Gods, and that should be the correct reading and all of that. Note, but listen, notice in verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. Uh, notice it said, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, lowercase g. He had already recognized that Daniel had a true God. And they had already warned him that their God, which was not his God, one of his gods was going to deliver them. So it only makes sense that when he sees this, he already had a revelation. Now he has a second revelation that it is the true God and not just one of his pagan gods. So it's not a stretch to, to say that he would say the fourth is like the son of God because that's what it, they exactly told him that their God would deliver him or deliver them, I should say. Now, that is interesting because let's continue. I want you to see his reaction to this. He continues, and let's continue looking at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. There it is again. He knows that their God is different than his own pagan gods. Come forth, come hither, come here, you guys, come here, come here. He is so curious, he was so excited. Me, I, I would be scared too because of the reason why they're there. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains of the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed on them. They are just completely unscathed. They are just, just look like perfect health, not even a sunburn. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, blessed be the God, not gods, lowercase g, blessed be the God, just like Daniel, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel. He's talking about the fourth man. By the way, in the Old Testament, the, Jesus was called the angel of the Lord sometimes. So, you know, that could be doctrinally correct, or he could just, you know, um, not have the full comprehension and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god again he has the acknowledgement and he you have to give him credit for this there are some kings in the bible where a true prophet of God, they would have the king would have the false prophets come and prophesy. Tell me, am I going to win this battle? Am I going to be victorious? Oh yes, king. Yes, they would tell the king everything he wanted to hear. Very positive, 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 positive. Kind of like a lot of false preachers we have today. Positive, positive, positive. Uh, tickle people's ears. Only tell them the good things that they want to hear. Don't be negative. Don't talk about repentance or sin or judgment or hell. No, 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 no. Positive. False prophets in the Bible were just like that. Tell the king positive, positive, positive. And the king would have kind of a suspicion that they're not telling him the full truth. And you say, you know what? I won't call this other prophet. This guy, he'll, he'll be straight with me. He'll tell me the truth even if I don't like it. And this prophet would come and say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go and they're going to wipe you out. They're going to kill you. They're going to defeat you. And, and sometimes the king would appreciate the truth. And sometimes these kings would say, pump, slap him in the face and tell the servants, Take this guy to the dungeon, dungeon. Like Jeremiah, like some of these other prophets. How dare you tell me that I'm going to be defeated? It was the truth. It was the hard truth, but sometimes they did not like it. 
and they would punish people for telling them that. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that. Nebuchadnezzar could have punished these people, said, well, who do they think they are? They're not, and that's what he tried to do. But even afterward, he could, he could have had this resentment. He could have still rebelled. Uh, you know, there was another figure, another king in the Bible who did see miracles and he still hardened his heart, Pharaoh, right? Nebuchadnezzar could have reacted like Pharaoh did and hardened his heart more and more and more as he continued to see the miracles and the power of God. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that. So we have to give Nebuchadnezzar credit for at least being able to acknowledge the truth. But again, we see a little bit of an overreaction. In verse 28, he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Boy, he goes from one extreme to the other. You don't worship this image, you're going to be killed. Then he says, you speak anything against their God, you're going to be killed. One extreme to the other. And he says, their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, I see that Nebuchadnezzar, there's some good things, there's some bad things. Why he didn't learn the first time after Daniel interpreted his dream? Why didn't he say, Daniel, I want to know more about your God, Daniel. I, tell, me, uh, uh, tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. I want to worship your God. Why, why didn't he seek more after the wisdom from Daniel about Daniel's God? What did he do? This image. It's like he just went from one extreme to the other. It's like he forgot completely about what he had heard from Daniel. Now we see he learned something about what he saw. Next, we're going to see what he became. Go to Daniel chapter 4. My last point here. What he became. Daniel chapter 4. And in verse... 28 verse 28 before we get to before we read that he has another dream and Daniel interprets the dream and what happens is the fulfillment of that verse 28 all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon and the king spake and said is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? He's in love with himself. He's prideful. Remember in Isaiah 14, Lucifer, I shall be lift, I will ex be lift, exalt, I will ascend above the, the clouds of the stars, I, 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 here we have again, Nebuchadnezzar, look at me, look at me, look at me, I have done these great, wonderful things, he's lifted up in pride, verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, now he's actually hearing God speak, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails as bird's claws. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine this great king, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the Great, the king of Babylon, the, the Babylon Empire, this great, wonderful king, is lowered to the status of an animal. An animal. 
And the Bible says, till seven times pass over thee. That, that appears to be seven years. You know, there's actually a, a disorder. There's two of them. One of them is called lycanthropy. And the other one is called boanthropy. And these are rare, they're very rare, but they are true clinical disorders. This one is where a person uh, believes that they have changed into an animal. This one, more specifically, the person believes or acts like a cow or an ox. And so Nebuchadnezzar, it's kind of like a, a form of schizophrenia or something. And so Nebuchadnezzar undoubtedly had one of these conditions where he was basically turned into a maniac. He was a crazy man. He was living out like an animal. It says his hair was like feathers. He probably had dreadlocks. His nail, he was very, his, his hygiene was just, um, just never showered. I mean, I've seen homeless people that look like this, walking around just clothes, just half naked, just dirty, and they haven't showered in who knows how long, and they look, they look and act like animals, Mental, mentally ill people I have seen. And I've often wondered, how does this person even survive? How do they even know how to go and get food? It just seems like they're just completely out of it. You would think that they would starve to death because it seems like their mental faculties are just so far out there. How do they even go and, and eat? How do they get food? Strange, bizarre. And Nebuchadnezzar turned into that. Remember the maniac of Gadara? There was actually two of them. Homeless, living in the tombs, in the cemetery, demon-possessed, living like animals, acting like animals, like wild animals. No man could tame them. They would break out of the shackles. Nebuchadnezzar, eating grass, eating grass like an animal. Now, he probably ate other food besides that to sustain himself, but... I don't see how a human could just live just on grass for seven years, but he was out there. That's one, uh, one of the items that he ate down there on his hands and knees like an animal eating grass. From a king in a palace down to a subhuman, an animal. He, was, he went from the top to the bottom, from the highest to the lowest. Why did that happen? Because he was lifted up in pride. The Bible says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God humbled him. God humbled him. But look at the outcome. Again, we see Nebuchadnezzar has a positive outcome, a positive response to this. Look at verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. He learned a tough lesson. He learned the hard way. You know what I noticed after this incident? I noticed that the, the statements that he starts making about God are becoming more elaborate. First, I see that he's simply recognizing and acknowledging Daniel has the true God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have the true God. After something happens where he actually has this experience, this humbling experience, he's not just hearing something, he's not just seeing something, he is actually becoming something and experiencing something, and it's a very humbling experience you can see his response and his reaction to this 
is different than the previous two because of the circumstances of how extreme they were. And so we have to give credit to Nebuchadnezzar. Go back to Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 1. Before he recounts this experience, look what he says in uh, the beginning of the chapter before he tells about this dream and what happened to him. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And then he goes recounts the dream and all of those things. And notice that he's praising God and talking about all of his attributes. And he concludes with a similar statement. I wonder why Nebuchadnezzar didn't learn the first couple times. Why did it have to take something like this? for him to finally be humbled and finally learn a true lesson. It looks like this is toward the end of his life and finally he learned the lesson and finally he acknowledged God and finally worshiped God and had the right attitude. Did he forsake his pagan gods at this point? I don't know. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. But it, it appears that he didn't forsake his paganism after the first two revelations that he had received from God. You know, the Bible says, to whom much is given us of him shall much be required. Pharaoh saw a lot, I mean, uh, well, not Pharaoh too, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw a lot, a lot. And maybe that's one of the reasons why God took these extreme measures to humble him. Because he said, first one, Daniel, you should have known better than to continue in this. Second one, fiery furnace, you saw that and you still didn't learn. And now I'm going to have to humble you. Humble you. There are some people who recognize God, recognize the power of God, even believe the Bible. They will admit that God is the true God. They will admit Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They will admit and acknowledge that the Bible is the Word of God. But they still don't put God first. They cling to other things. They cling to their idols. They cling to their self-righteousness. They cling to their religion. They cling to things that go against the word of God. They acknowledge the truth. They don't embrace the truth. I was talking to a guy one time, talking about being saved and born again and all of that. He admitted to me, he believed the Bible was true, that he, if he didn't get saved, that he was going to go to hell, and he still didn't care. He said, yes, I know. I know what the Bible says, and I know that after I die, I'm going to go to hell. It didn't concern him. It didn't concern him. Very interesting about the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Did he get saved? I'd like to think so. It appears that he did, based on the statements. Then again, we see he made some similar statements before, and what happened? I'd like to think Nebuchadnezzar got saved. We, we know for sure Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and he had the right reaction. There are people, when they go through trials and humbling experiences, that or God tries to humble them and chastise them, and instead of them having the reaction that Nebuchadnezzar did and acknowledging God and humbling themselves, they get more bitter toward God. Did you know a lot of atheists are simply people who are mad at God? Yeah. You talk to people who, who proclaim to be atheists and they start saying how, oh, well, God did this and God did this and why should I believe in him? I'm thinking, wait a minute. Well, you're telling me you don't believe him and now you're accusing him of doing something. How can something that doesn't exist do something? That tells me, no, you do. You're not an atheist. You, you have knowledge of God. Something is in here. You're bitter. You're angry. You're angry toward God because something happened, circumstances in your life. That's something's not adding up. That's how some people are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story of Nebuchadnezzar. I pray that we'll take these things to heart and, and see the, the examples that you have here in the word of God how you revealed yourself your power your presence and and the things and I pray that 
we would have the right response and that when we, we do uh, know that when we all know that you are the true God, I pray that we would not cling to anything, any inferior substitutes like Nebuchadnezzar did. He continued walking in his, his idolatrous ways. I pray that we would put you first in our life and, and give you the, the proper place and preeminence and not not like the the church of Ephesus um, where they left their first love. But I pray that uh, you would have the proper place in our life and that we would continue to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.